America is in the midst of a bread renaissance. Just ask Publican Quality Bread's head baker, Greg Wade. Growing up outside Milwaukee, Greg was raised baking with his mother and grandmother, but it wasn't until years later that he discovered his passion for whole grains, long fermentation, and all other things he speaks effortlessly about under the humble guise of nerding out. After enrolling in the Illinois Institute of Arts Culinary Program, Greg began to notice a void in the Chicago dining scene. Excellent restaurants had the desire to serve quality breads from hydrated doughs and whole grains, but they were hard-pressed to find the space and expertise needed to bake in their already bustling kitchens. Now at the helm of Publican Quality Bread, Greg works hand-in-hand with farmers and retailers and owners to develop breads to fit restaurant menus and storefronts within and outside the one-off hospitality family brands. In 2017, Greg's passion and skills were recognized with a James Beard finalist nomination for Outstanding Baker, along with people he's admired greatly throughout the course of his career. Greg joins us in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we discuss the art and craft of today's modern baker, his connection to the local farm community, and the beauty and alchemy that happens within long-term fermentation. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. Hey everybody, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome to another episode of Let the Music Play. This is our 2017 Let the Music Plate sessions, and we are joined today uh, by a super creative guy. I think you guys are going to love getting in the head, heart, and soul of what he's doing in Chicago. Comes to us uh, from the Public and Quality Bread and One-Off Hospitality in Chicago. His name is Greg Wade. I actually found him on a documentary on Netflix, and I was like, man, this guy, um, he's doing some beautiful things, and just wanted to chat with him and uh, learn what he's doing. So with that being said, from Chicago, Greg Wade joins us. Greg, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So where do we begin? For people that maybe haven't crossed paths with you or all the things you're involved with in Chicago, uh, where do you begin when you introduce yourself? Uh, Well, we just start talking about bread in the bakery, right? Um, So uh, what I do is I run uh, public and quality bread. Um, it's the wholesale bakery for one-off hospitality. It's all of uh, Paul Kahn's restaurants here. So Blackbird, Back Nico, Publican, um, all that sort of jazz. Uh, super high-end stuff. And kind of the mantra here at one-off in total is, uh, you know, sustainable um, uh, sourcing of your ingredients, quality ingredients, and uh, just kind of the uh, best way to uh, treat those ingredients, right? Beautiful. Absolutely. Um, so the the bakery itself is um the whole the wholesale baker uh, bread extension of that so what we do is uh all natural fermentation on all of our breads and we feature local farms whole grains and the farm that we're partnered closely with is called spence farms in fairbury illinois and the farmers there and i have been working together for about seven years now um the bakery itself, we do uh, about 10,000 pounds of dough a week, and we service about 60 restaurants in total in Chicago. Wow. Wow. So you're a busy guy. Uh, you know, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, before we start getting into uh, some of the processes, the beliefs, mantras, local sourcing that you guys believe in, um, tell me, walk me through your journey with the the art of baking. Like, when did you know 
that, man, there, there's something for me here. And when was your curiosity first sparked? All right. So I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, the, this little anecdote first. So the, I, I was a little bit late to kind of realize what I should be doing. Okay. And uh, I think that's very apparent when I think about Play-Doh. I didn't realize that Play-Doh was actually play dough until i was like 25 right <laughs> right so, um yeah so a little little bit late to the game so like first it first started like when i was when i was real young you know like four or five six something like that my uh, my grandmother would um would come and babysit and we would bake cookies and cakes and what have you just to, to occupy the time and she was she was a really great grandmother um, and, uh, you know, my parents would come home, there'd be like a little flower handprints all over the place and they'd like pretend to yell at me, but it's really cute, you know? And, um, then, uh, once I got a little bit older, my dad and I were looking for something to, uh, kind of do together. So we tried baking bread on the weekends and we would use, uh, my grandmother's old bread machine and, uh, we would, um, uh, use the, you know, the terrible recipe book, recipe book that it came with. And, uh, but it was, it was just a kind of fun, like bonding, you know, just something to do together, yeah. uh, as I was growing into an angsty teen. And, um, so after that, I, or after, you know, I graduated from high school, I was actually going to UW, uh, Wisconsin or university of Wisconsin, Milwaukee to try to be a German teacher. And, um, that was really panning out. So I, uh, uh, apparently my mother had given, uh, my name to a culinary school down here um, in Chicago like two years prior when I was first looking at schools and um, took them two years to call me and then right as I'm like kind of like oh man what am I going to do they call me up to like hey you should come to culinary school and I was like all right you know I'll, I'll, I'll check it out came down to Chicago and uh, I actually never took a uh, like a bread class at the culinary school um, but I would uh, yeah I went for the savior program um, I uh, uh I would uh, I would go in and I would do um, breads and like on my free time and do uh, skill labs and stuff like that. But I never actually took a bread class. Um, once I graduated, I started working at a place called Taxim in Chicago, and um, it's a, a Greek place. And so uh, I would do you know pastry there. I'd do the hotline, and then I would do uh, just some breads for fun. Um, and there I met Jan Rickerel, and he was going to be the chef de cuisine to open up Girl and the Goat with Steph Eisard. Right. And uh, so when he when he left, um, he brought me with and said, I want you to do bread full time. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. This sounds <laughs> cool. Maybe I'll, I'll do this for a year or two and then go back to line cooking and, you know, go be, go be a savory chef. And it turns out that, you know, I just really dug it and, uh, you know, did really well at it. Um, so I kept going on there. And then eventually Steph opened up Little Goat and then there was a bakery in there. So I headed up that program. And uh, once I... Uh, heard that Paul was opening up a wholesale bakery here. Um, you know, I was, I just kind of, I got, I got introduced to him and I was like, you know what, that sounds pretty cool. And I uh, decided to come do this thing. Um, so that was, that was kind of it, you know, it, I, I never really set out to be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be a bread baker. It was like, I just kind of like found what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at what point, at what point after you'd study, studied the savory side of food, um, like, did you have a moment where you were like, man, bread is my thing. Like I'm, this is it. Um, kind of, you know, like, uh, it was just something I was like really good at, you know, like gotcha. something that it's like have, being able to like touch dough is not something you can particularly teach. Hmm. Um, so I just did a lot of reading, a lot of practice and I was like, I was good at it. And then it's, it's also one of those things that, um, you know, a lot of savory chefs won't even bother to tackle is because they're like they're scared of like fermentation and like this lively bread thing. And they're like, ah, I don't know, like to be something I can just like 
make really hot and like cut, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, it, was, it was kind of a cool challenge. And then uh, really is like, it's, it's like one of the most rewarding things I can possibly think of to do is like having your bread always come out consistent and great. And like, you know, just exactly how you want it every time. You know, it's really like a, it's a really like soulful experience. You know, getting your hands in the dough, getting your hands in the flour, um, smelling everything, feeling everything, and and having it be a very like tactile, a very like sensory uh, experience. Channels it all uh, in. Yeah. So yeah. like, it just kind of really being like super involved with it. You know, you just kind of like get really into it. Um, and then I think after a certain point, the yeast kind of starts doing weird things to your brain. So then it just kind of like sends you more down that road. <laughs> Alchemy. Um, so, okay. So you're, you're a leader, you know, really across the country in this extended fermentation world. And for maybe some of our listeners that haven't been connected with, uh, familiar with what you're doing or some of what's been going on in the culinary space across the country, what do you mean? What's happening when you compare just normal generic bread that people can buy anywhere as opposed to this extended fermentation that you guys are doing? All right. So, um, this, this, this is kind of a story. So like with everything that we possibly eat, it all starts with the soil, right? Yep. So, um, really what we wanted to do is, uh, find the best possible ingredients that we possibly could to make bread out of. And uh, really for, for like a hearth bread, what you really want is just milled wheat that's like sifted, you know, maybe some rye, maybe some oats, some other grains and nuts and seeds and stuff like that. It's really fine. Um, but uh, it turns out that that's like kind of like every, everything in the country is kind of geared towards large scale factory bread, just like it's geared towards large scale factory farming. So first we had to find, uh, find our farmers. First we had to find our actually wheat supply. Um, and, uh, we wanted, we wanted this wheat to not be, you know, bleached and bromated and, um, have these dough conditioners that just make your bread slide down, uh, your various machines and stuff like that. Everything that we wanted to do is hand shaped. Um, so it starts there. And, uh, what we, what we needed to do is find farms that were doing that. Um, so, uh, we found Spence farms, um, years ago and, uh, it turns out that they're doing exactly what we wanted, like a higher, higher protein wheats um made for bread uh, among a, a ton of other things that they do um and uh really the ways that uh, then the the next step is how to treat those things because um when you have a commercial wheat flour or commercial flours in general like i said they've got all these additives and enrichments and um chemicals and things like that to make them um easily workable by machines pretty much immediately right um and the, so what you have to do is kind of figure out, okay, without all of those things, how do you make this work? And it turns out that you need to like, you know, you actually need to ferment your products. You need to ferment your, your flours and then uh, beforehand and then mix them into a dough and let that ferments. And then uh, for us, uh, especially in a state of ease for production and then also for some more flavor development, cold fermenting our dough for 24 hours once it's shaped um, is also kind of like the final step. So uh, it, it's a super flavorful product, and this it's kind of lucky because it's also what we think is the best way to make bread um, and the best way to treat these ingredients. Uh, so it just kind of starts, um, you know, it started with out of necessity, but also like a, a necessity of how do we actually get this to be a thing. Um, but then luckily, that was also the most flavorful and tasty way to, to do it. 
So um, process, time, um, all of this is involved in actually a better, more sustainable uh, and better tasting product. When, when you talk about the extended fermentation, um, how many days all in? I mean, isn't it, isn't it two, three days before you know, it actually hits the oven? So we do 60 hours. 60 hours. Wow. Yeah, wow. 60 hours. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, through, through, that, through that process, you get a ton of acetic acid. You get a ton of lactic acid. Both of those are the organic acids that make up the good flavor and aroma of bread. Um, but then it also really softens up the bran. Um, so you still get a ton of like dietary fiber, which is great, and good for you and good for your gut microbiome. Um, but it uh, makes it a little bit softer by fermenting it this long. So it's uh, also a good thing. Um, you get a ton of starch breakdown, a ton of protein breakdown. Um, and uh, through the sourdough fermentation process, you actually get a phytic acid inhibitor called phytase. It's another enzyme. It's actually occurring in um, sourdough starter. Now, uh, what phytic acid in your system, uh, does in your system, it's a nutrient blocker. So it doesn't allow you to absorb all the, the vitamins and nutrients that are in a food product. Uh, so just by having um, this uh, extra enzyme through your sourdough bread, now it's not just a carb bomb. It's you know, actually being digested and actually being uh, a nutrient-dense food for you. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So if you combine all of that with the fact that we're sourcing our, our wheat properly, um, where we don't uh, want it to be on uh, land that um, farmers like to use glyphosate or uh, something like that, like um, like a, a pesticides and herbicides and um, uh, Roundup and whatever it is. Um, like that's kind of where a lot of this like gluten intolerance is coming from, I think. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. That, yeah. So um, that's is, that's a perfect. I wanted to walk down that road with you. So here here's a product. Not only is it sustainable, not only does it taste better, nutritionally, uh, it, it's better for you. Give me, give me your elevator speech on the conversation of gluten-free, gluten intolerance, and so forth. Like if, if someone were to eat your breads, wouldn't you say that they probably wouldn't notice that gluten intolerance? So here's the thing. I am 100% not a doctor. Uh, but <laughs> Neither am I. Uh, I can, I can absolutely tell you the experiences that we've had and the, what people have told us that have said that they've had these symptoms. Um, so really what I think this, the gluten intolerance thing is that we're um, treating the symptom, but not the cause, hmm. right? So when people eat the bread, they're like, oh, I feel terrible because I ate bread. Yes, that's true. Okay. But why did you feel terrible because you ate that bread? So it's, again, starts with how it's farmed. Yeah. And um, what large-scale factory farms do is they've got one type of plant. You know, it's a genetically the same plant over and over and over and over and over, and um, just for acres. And uh, it comes with an instruction book. It says, you know, dump uh, this chemical on it to make it grow and uh, dump this chemical on it to, you know, have it um, tiller and have it, um, you know, have it uh, fill the seed heads and things like that. And then um, dump this chemical on it and then harvest it, you know. Um, but that's a lot of, that's a lot of chemicals. Uh, so it's a high input farming system. And then, uh, it's the, all of those chemicals that is what people are reacting to. Yeah. Um, because no matter what they say, it's, is your, you know, there still is residue and there still is runoff and there still is, uh, it still ends up in your food supply. Um, so for us, since we make sure to only buy from places that are reputable, that don't do those things that are growing, um, land race or heritage wheats, 
and um, uh, use low input farming systems in like a biodiverse uh, regenerative farming way um, that uh, people that have had our bread um, do not experience any of those problems. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable that like, you know, between the sourcing of the ingredients and then actually fermenting a lot of those sugars out, um, you know, it's, it's something like, a, you know, it's, it's, let's see, the, the FODMAPs, the fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, polyols, or something like that, I think it's called. Um, if you ferment your bread for four hours, those things are reduced by something like 90%. Wow. You know, and, uh, but the problem is that these commercial factory bakeries are going from like a loaf or from dough to loaf, package loaf, in you know less than four hours yeah. so there's no none of the, none of that's being broken down so of course it's just like a carb bomb that just like spikes your blood sugar wow. and then it com- comes with all these extra chemicals and things like that and some of the some of the things that they even add to their flour to like make it workable um so like it's like a calcium sulfate or something like that which is what they use to uh make casts out of when you break a bone you know wow. so it's like that's yeah that's in, that's in your that's in your bread no wonder your um, guts hurt yeah, so you know, like if you actually go through that list and you're like, wow, you know, like you know, just look up, like go to like get a get a packaged loaf of bread at the store and like kind of Google what's in all of those uh, all those chemicals and stuff like that, and um, it's you know it's pretty remarkable. Uh, a really a, actually a good book if you want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, it's called The Grain of Truth by Stephen Yaffa, Y A F A. Um, really, uh, he's he's a um, a journalist by trade hmm. and um he just really did a lot of diligence finding some really reputable research and being able to like i mean his references pages are like 20 pages long uh throughout this whole like pretty easy quick read well i mean it, yeah. it, it makes sense when for thousands and thousands of years we've made bread um why yeah. all of a sudden you know in the last decade is it a problem um it makes sense when you connect those dots yeah yeah Wow. And now let's talk about Spence Farms because uh, that's where I came across you is in that documentary on Netflix, the sustainable documentary. Um, yeah. Didn't like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but even when you find uh, guys that are doing this sustainable farming, um, aren't they finding that the yields are even greater, um, you know, without yes. having to do everything else? Talk on that for a minute. Yeah. So, um, First off, I love working with these guys. They're like they're, uh, it's Marty and Will Travis uh, that run Spence Farms, and um, you know they're they're just really uh, doing things in a really kind of unique and remarkable way. And they're, they're you know they'll just they'll just share the share the knowledge with pretty much anybody. Um, it seems like they just they just want more farmers that are doing things like this. Hmm. Um, so really, just stand up guys in general. Um, but uh, they work with a with a company called uh, Advancing Eco Agriculture, and they. Uh, have really been this company has really kind of pioneered this um way of farming that applies a lot of science to it um in that they're making sure that the micronutrients uh and amino acids and things like that are available to the plants in the soil before the crop is actually grown um so if the the whole idea is that you create healthy soil which creates healthy plants which creates healthy food and then we eat that food and it's kind of like a food as medicine um, sort of thing. Hmm. And when uh, plants are super healthy, they have all this energy and then they put that, put that en- extra energy into um, things like making more fruit. And then um, what's even cooler is that once, uh, once a plant is like the healthiest it can be and it's you know, putting all of these um, uh, micronutrients back down in the soil for root exudates and things like that, 
um, then it actually starts creating uh, more bioflavonoids. And what bioflavonoids are is the actually like flavor chemicals that make up uh, whatever your food tastes like. So if you've ever had like a super carroty carrot and you're like, wow, that's a really carroty carrot. It's because <laughs> it's got a ton of bioflavonoids in it. And like that plant was like healthy enough to be able to just have that extra energy go into, into making those. Wow. Um, so yes, like kind of across the board and um, really one of the guys, uh, Gary Redding goes into, um, goes into that in the sustainable documentary that, um, you know, going through this organic um, regenerative way of farming uh, creates better yields uh, more and uh, better um, resistance to weather and uh, pests and things like that um, without having to have a lot of high input um, costs like chemicals and fertilizers and stuff like that. Because that, um, yeah, that's the number one pushback you get is you don't understand. You don't understand the amount of food that needs to be created. You don't understand the problems that can happen when really, if you start at the soil, if if we can get the soil right, then we can get the seed right. If we can get the seed and the soil right, then I guess what you're telling me is we get the flavonoids and everyone else. And from there, we're all happy. Yeah, well, so I mean, like for, from a chef's perspective, we, we want super tasty food, right? Yeah. I love eating. I love food. Um, and you know, really like at the end of the day is like, it's super pleasurable to have tasty food. So like, as soon as, as soon as me as like a chef or a baker, I taste something and I'm like, Whoa, like that's like the best peach I've ever had. How did you do that? And you're like, I don't know. It's just a peach. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so, um, you know, like, so like it starts, it starts with that. And so it's like kind of like, that's, that's where your eyes kind of open. Yeah. And then because like, because you get this interest and it's super pleasurable to have that really nice peach, then you're like, wow, how can I propagate that? How can we do this better? And how can, how can this just be the way peaches are? Um, so once you kind of start going down that way, then you want to support the people that are growing them that way. And then kind of changing this whole system um, back towards like a, like a regenerative family farm rather than like uh, these large monocultures and monocropping and stuff like that. Yeah. And are you seeing the trend? I mean, are you starting to see some tailwind gather behind this movement across the country? Yeah, there's uh, there's tons of people interested. Um, really kind of what I've kind of gathered um, from talking to a bunch of farmers is uh, it was um, just kind of the way that they were brought up and like they're like these people that have been farming this conventional way for so long you know, now they're at the end of their career and they're like, dude, I just want to get done. You know, like, I don't want to change like my entire project. I just want to get through this and like retire and just be done with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but their kids are the, like are the ones that are interested in it. They're, they, wow. um, and, it's, and it's not that the adults aren't interested in it because it's like some of them you talk to and, um, you know, they're like, yeah, we tried doing this. And, uh, you know, I, I started not dumping a bunch of chemicals on my land and, you know what? I saw birds in my field and I dug into the ground and there were worms and um, they're like getting really excited about it. Like pretty basic stuff that there's like generally <laughs> life in their in their farm. And they're like, wow, you know, and, like I feel good about letting my kids run through the cornfield. That's like I would never I would never do that. And wow. um, it's, it's yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like eye opening. You're like, whoa, you're like you're like even the people on these farms were like, no, kid, don't run through there. Mm. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. So but there's there's tons of interest in it. And um, really, the like uh, one of the big problems is that there's no really good, um, there's no there's no really good information out there. You yeah. know, so everyone's everyone's just kind of like trying to talk amongst themselves. Everyone's kind of like buzzing about like, yes, this is the way to do it, but like, how do we do that? Um, there's no really good uh, like written down knowledge base. 
um, as far as that goes quite yet. There may, there may be something in the works from what I yeah. heard, but, um, but we're getting there. We're, we're getting there. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely interest in it. There's definitely movement behind it. And it even comes from uh, the consumers, right? Because like, believe it or not, consumerism, like we've got like a ton of, of, uh, we got a ton of power, um, through where we put our dollars. Yeah. You know, so like if we if we support these systems that are organic and um, reputable and things like that, and we like that's where we're putting our money, you know, the companies are going to like change. They're going to start putting funding into researching how to do that better and how to make more of that and how to propagate that. So like really like, you know, the consumer does have a lot of power by just like choosing right now which things they want to uh, spend their money on. Yeah. So there's two worlds of education. There's there's educating the the farmers that are actually handling the crop, but there's also the customer consumer side of this um, that also needs to be shown the beauty in the soil, the beauty in the seed. Um, yeah, to understand absolutely. what's happening. Yeah, and uh, and and really, it's like um, you know, it might be a little bit more expensive right now to buy organic uh, because the infrastructure in the country is set up for um, for factory farming. But again, like if we support that system, there's good, they're going to put money into that infrastructure and it's going to make it easier for everybody to have that quality uh, food. Yeah. Yeah. And it tastes better, by the way. And it's better for and, you, yeah. by the way. I, I mean, it's a win-win, really. Yeah. 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 Wow. So um, you're, you're super busy. You're making, you're making oh. breads for over 60 restaurants. You're, you've got all these projects going. You're, uh, you're handling extended... F- fermentation you just got james beard finalist nomination um how, how do you keep your passion day in day out um i imagine your hours are pretty rough um how do you how do you keep that zest for what you're doing um well i mean it's, it's just i think when you find something that you love doing uh you just kind of keep want to keep on doing it and it really helps to surround yourself with uh quality people um, so, you know, every Wednesday when Marty and Will drop off, uh, the grain, uh, the, the flowers for me that they have milled the day before, um, you know, we're just talking, Hey, how's your wife? How's your kid? Um, you know, what's going on? What's new? Uh, it just you know, kind of makes it feel good. Yeah. Um, and like, that's, it's, it's that sort of, you know, so then they're doing that there. So I'm doing that here, you know? So mm. it's like, a, um, it's just finding like really good people that make you want to be a better person. Um, so like working with Marty and Will and then, uh, you know, uh, Paul is like an, like an excellent person. Um, I love working for him. Um, you know, he's, he's just a really solid dude and is just very caring about his staff. Yeah. And so he's, you know, he's just always, you know, coming in and he's kind of a wild dude. And he'll just kind of like bounce around and be like, yo, you know, like you doing all right. What's going on? We got to do this. We got to do that. And, um, you know, he just kind of, kind of pushes you a little bit, hmm. uh, but you know, it's 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 uh, just like anything. You you gotta you gotta want to do it for yourself. You yeah. know, nobody's gonna like take take your hand. Like, okay, it's time to you know get your sous chef job. Okay, it's time to get your chef job. Okay, it's, you know, it's time to open up your first restaurant. Well, blah, blah. You have to you have to like you have to want to do something, right? Huh. No matter what it is. Like, I don't care what like what you end up doing, but you know, you have to want to want to do something. Yeah, yeah. You got to be ready to be ready to be ready. <laughs> um, so. Man, I hear a spirit of generosity, a spirit of joy uh, and love and energy in, in the work you're doing. Um, it seems like it, seems like it 
it, it has to come out in the product. Um, I can't remember where I read or I heard recently that there, there's like a guy that owns a, a restaurant in New York and he literally says that he can taste the difference in his kitchen's food depending on the, the tone and the spirit of the kitchen that night. Um, I believe that. And uh, I was like, yeah. I mean, happy, happy people make happy food. That's right. I bet there's something there. Um, so what's keeping you curious? Is there, where's it go next for you? You keep doing what you're doing. Um, are you really diving into things with the guys that you farm with kind of what's, what's on the horizon? Um, well, I mean, I just try to expose myself to a ton of different things and then, uh, and then just kind of exact that in the things that I'm actually like able to do. Right. Yeah. Um, so you want like kind of a lot of inputs and then you can kind of channel that into like your one, one or two outputs. Yeah. Um, but what's, what's really kind of interesting is, um, you know, like I'm always, I'm always amazed at like just when, when good people get together and work together towards a common thing. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you this story real quick. So something that Marty and Will and I tried this year, um, in one of the fields is, uh, we took three different types of wheat and, uh, we, uh, just mixed all the seed together. We planted them all in the same, same field. Um, we didn't know like which plant was, was, which, you know, when we first started. Hmm. Um, and that's supposed to be really good for the soil. It's supposed to be good for the root systems. It's supposed to be really good for the plant health and, um, the, the overall crop itself, you know, it's uh, kind of health with disease resistance, pest resistance, um, that sort of stuff. And uh, we chose uh, warthog wheat, we cho- chose uh, turkey red, and we chose red fife. Um, so warthog, it, when we tried it, had excellent flavor. Um, turkey red had a really good um, ability to rise as a loaf of bread. And then red fife is just a really good overall rounded baking wheat. Um, and so we kind of had this, had this plan going into it. And then, uh, so we wanted to be able to grow it all together, harvest it together, mill it together. And um, that just came out of the field, and it was pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, the crop was really healthy, and I got my first bag of flour from them uh, two weeks ago. And since then, I've been working with it. And, um, you know, so I've been doing 100% whole wheat bread with it, uh, naturally leavened, uh, just with some local honey. And it's, like, stellar. Wow! Like the so so we call it uh, we call it WTF flour for warthog, <laughs> turkey red, and red fight. The Trinity. Yeah. So yeah. So WTF flour, <laughs> and um, so it comes with this great story, and and then it also comes with uh, you know excellent flavor. It's for it being 100% whole wheat. It's like really light, really flavorful. Um, you know, I, I just really can't say enough good stuff about it, and it's it just uh, kind of the culmination of good people trying to do their best. Wow! Wow! Man, I love that. Um, and you use honey a lot, don't you? Yeah, dude. Um, so uh, honey, like for one, uh, delicious. And then um, I've been lucky enough to go to a couple different of the uh, like honey baking summits that the National Honey Board puts on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there we learn all about baking with honey, and uh, we try a different bu- a bunch of different varietals of honey. And what's really interesting is that you know not all honey is created equal. So you've got like a super light orange blossom honey that's just like really sweet, really floral, versus like a buckwheat or an avocado honey that's like super dark and like actually really funky, like and like funk funky, you know, and. Um, <laughs> And you're like, wow, you know, I didn't know that a plant could like make that. Right. And, and uh, so, yeah, like I first off, it's like it's a remarkable product in itself. 
Um, but then uh, also really being able to support the bee system yeah. um, that needs to happen in order for us to have a lot of our crops and things like that. They're yeah. just really healthy uh, critters to have around. So you want to, again, support the system that you that you need to have around. That's one thing on my bucket list. I was supposed to start a beehive this summer and I didn't do it. So I need to do it though. Um, wow. That's awesome. Um, so I guess my last question I want to ask you for, for anyone that maybe is uh, thinking about moving into the culinary space. They are uh, new. Maybe they're just getting out of school or maybe they're in culinary school somewhere. Um, and it doesn't even have to be involved with, with food. But w- what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, you know, I would say, I'd say first off, um, don't be afraid to be wrong. Uh Mistakes happen, um, but generally, uh, you know, surround yourself with good people and don't be afraid to ask for advice and really just dig in, you know, like find something that you're passionate about and just run with it. You know, even if it's not what you sh- what you need to be doing long term, it's going to lead you to something that you might want to be doing long term. And like I said earlier, like, you know, it's it's I think it's a huge problem right now that like people uh, are just expecting to be handed things. Yeah. And they're just, they're just like, well, why don't I have all this stuff? You're like, well, dude, you know, you actually got to work for it. You have to like want to work for it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really what I would say is like find something that you're passionate about. Find something that, um, you know, it's, you're going to be happy doing and that you're able to actually dig in and uh, and uh, and really enjoy. And like you actually like, you know, be a productive member of society, you know, like don't be afraid of that. That's like, I know, like kind of growing up, like being an ACT, you're like, Oh, you know, or whatever. But, um, you know, you gotta like, you gotta, you gotta dig in and you gotta want to be able to do something. Yeah. That's a good word. That's a good word. So for our listeners, if they're coming to Chicago, uh, what's the best way they can experience what you're doing? Would you say, um, go directly to public and quality bread? Would you send them to one of the one-off hospitality restaurants? What's, what's the best option? Uh, so best option retail wise, we retail everything at public quality meats. It's 825 West Fulton, uh, Fulton market rather. Um, and then, uh, any of the one-off locations, uh, so publican, blackbird, avec, Nico, um, again, public quality meats, uh, doves, uh, that sort of thing, public and anchor, they'll all have, uh, they'll all have, uh, our bread featured. Um, and then, uh, the baker itself is wholesale only, um, so we, uh, you know, if you want to stop by, I can show you around, but there's, there's nothing really to sell here. Gotcha. Um, we just, we just, it's just a production facility. Um, and then, uh, really everything is up on our website, publicqualitybread.com. Um, you can, you go to the find our bread tab and then that's, it's all listed where you, where you'd be able to enjoy our products. Also on there is a, uh, a whole grain blog I've been doing. Um, just, uh, it's called adventures in whole grain baking. So you can try out some, some whole grain stuff that we've been doing. There's banana bread um, recipe. Well. I just saw it. Yeah, yeah, it's a rye banana bread. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, and, uh, you know, just it's posted there along with some other, like, you know, farm and wheat based or uh, grain based articles that I've been, I've been also digging into. So, very cool. And if they want to follow you uh, online, Instagram, Twitter, where, where should we send them? I think Greg Wade Bakes is your handle on yep. Instagram. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my main thing is uh, the Greg Wade Bakes on Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Well, hey, man, um, super grateful for your time and energy. Love what you're doing. Stay curious. Uh, keep doing it. Next time I'm in Chicago, I'm going to come shake your hand. All right. Groovy, brother. Appreciate okay, it. Man. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Our goal at Let the Music Play podcast is to bring as much insight and inspiration to the world that we can. And by leaving a review, you will help us in doing our little part in making the world tune up to a great, big, and lovely song.